I want to take tonight the second chapter of the first chapter of Acts, beginning with verse 8. And ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and into the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they stood steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, two angels, which also said, You men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Jesus is going to come again. There's only one book that can help us about the future life, and that's the Bible. You see, the death rate in our country, in spite of all this information, the death rate is still high. Do you know what it is? 100%. That's the death rate. And there are two options before you. You can earn your way by a perfect performance while you're here. You can bat a hunt a thousand and never make an error in your whole life. But anyone trying to perform their way into heaven is wasting their time. You're not saved by your goodness nor your works. If you're trying to earn your way to heaven by living a perfect life, you can't do it. Why? Because the Bible says that sin keeps us out of heaven. It separates us from God. And sin is a transgression of the law. And then the Bible says if you break one of the commandments, you've broken them all. So you and I have broken all the Ten Commandments and we're guilty before God. Just that one lie that you told could disqualify you from heaven. You see, God is a holy God. He's a just God. And he cannot lower the standard and accept the lower batting average. You'd have to reach a thousand. And nobody that's ever lived has reached a thousand except one, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why God sent his son to this earth. He lived a sinless and righteous life. And under the second option, Jesus transfers all the errors, all the sins off of us onto his own shoulders, into his own heart. And when he died on the cross, he wasn't dying because he had to. He wasn't dying for himself. He was dying in your place. He had your sins and my sins on him. And Jesus transfers his perfect righteousness to us. And we become clothed in the righteousness of God. So that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sins. He sees the blood that was shed on the cross. And he knows that he has forgiven us. You're now acceptable in God's sight just as though you'd never sinned. That's what justification means. 
just as if you had never sinned. We become his child. You become adopted into his family. You become a child of God. You're a child of the King. A new relationship has been established. The Bible also teaches that God is a God of judgment. He's going to judge the world. In Revelation 20 it says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place in them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell del delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found, notice this, whosoever, that's you or me, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is your name written in that book? I don't think I would leave this stadium today unless I knew that my name was written in that Lamb's book of life. Two sets of books. The moment you're born, your name is written in the books and an account is kept there. All your thoughts, all your intents, everything you've ever done, said, or thought is in the books. And what is there condemns you because God's great tape recorder has been running the whole time. And it's all there. But when you come to Christ, when you repent of your sins and you receive him by faith as Lord and Savior, he transfers your name from the books to the book of life. And if your book is in the book of life, you're forgiven, you're going to heaven, your name is already recorded to be in heaven for eternity. You see, the wicked, the wicked dead, the Bible says, will seek a hiding place from the face of Christ, the judge, and there's no hiding place. Dead, small and great will stand before God and there's none that doeth good, no, not one. Not one of us is good enough. The book of life will be opened and the wicked will be shown that God in his mercy provided space for you in the book of life. There's space for you there. But you never took advantage of it. So in Romans 1, it says you're without excuse. You may come and bring all your excuses and say, God, I didn't mean to do that. Lord, you've got this wrong. But the Bible says there'll be no excuse. Now God didn't even spare the angels. You see, there were some angels that sinned against God. Lucifer was the most beautiful and the most magnificent creature in all the universe. God created him. But he rebelled against God in some unknown way that we hear, read about it in several places in scripture. And many angels rebelled with him and they were judged and God didn't spare them. Are you better than the angels? Am I better than the angels? 
And God is not going to spare me. He's not going to spare you unless you're clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God spared not the world in which Noah lived. 2 Peter 2, 5 says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah. Noah was 600 years old. He preached repentance everywhere. He called upon people to repent of their sins, but they didn't listen. And in Genesis 6, there's the appalling conditions are summed up in a few terrible words of how the people lived. They were wicked. They had evil imaginations. They were corrupt. They were violent. Every imagination of man's thoughts were evil, the scripture says. Christ said, as in the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible says that's going to happen again. When men are going to live, men and women are going to live that way. Could it be that we're approaching that moment now? As in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. And then that day came. And God said that he was going to spare them seven more days. And during that seven-day period, Noah held the greatest revivals that have ever been held. And people came by the thousands to hear him because he had been 120 years out in the desert building that ship, bigger than a modern battleship. And they thought he was crazy. And it says that by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. Do you fear the Lord? I do. I have a reverential fear, but I also fear his judgment. Because the judgment of God is going to be worldwide and it's going to be throughout the human race and it's going to take us all in if we don't know Christ. The only thing that's going to spare you from that great white throne judgment is are you in Christ? Do you know him? Have you surrendered your life to him? Now God spared, he didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot had gone to that city. He was going to be a witness in that city. He was going to try to live a righteous life in that city. But the people ignored him when he talked about God. They persisted in their sins and their perversions and their godlessness. And God judged Sodom and Gomorrah and destroyed them. The Bible says in Hebrews, God is a consuming fire. Lot lived in the middle of that evil. We know that he was forced to hear and see many things that tortured his soul. Years ago, we would have been shocked at a lot of the things that we now accept as a matter of course. I, I often think of my father and mother who are in their graves. Godly people would never think of even looking at some of the things today that we watch. And it floods our imaginations with evil thoughts. 
But Lot lived in the middle of every kind of terrible vice and evil, yet he escaped it. He was never distracted from the right course. And when the worst came to worst, Lot was willing to make a clean break with his environment and to leave it forever. When God called him out of Sodom, are you willing to make a clean break with sin and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've sinned and I'm willing to turn from sin. I'm willing to be a changed person from this moment on. But Lord, I can't do it. If you'll help me, I'll try. And God spared not his own son. God loved his son. But when the sins of the world were taken on him at the cross, God did not spare him that terrible judgment because the cross is a judgment. It's your judgment and my judgment. And Jesus took it for us. Isaiah said he was smitten of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. God spared not even his son. Do you think he's going to spare you or me if we persist to live apart from him and don't surrender our lives and our hearts to him? And then God will not spare you in the day of judgment. In Isaiah 66 it tells us that the Lord is coming with fiery chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger and fury. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him take his stand. Will you be on the Lord's side? Yes, the coming again of Christ is mentioned over 300 times. But in the midst of judgment, God is also a God of love and mercy. And God loves you. And we've seen expressions of love here this week that have caused tears to roll down our cheeks. I've seen many a black person and white person in each other's arms down here as they've come forward to receive Christ. These are the things that God expects of us as believers. And we're to do it together. And we ought to worship together and pray together. Regardless of the color of our skin, we are believers in Christ. A tourist was driving through West Texas and he stopped at a gas station and saw a piece of rope dangling from a sign labeled weather forecaster. How can you possibly tell the weather with a piece of rope, he was asked. Oh, it's simple, son. When the top swings back and forth, it's windy. When it gets wet, it's raining. When it's frozen stiff, it's cold and maybe snowing. And when it's gone, a tornado has come. And Jesus told his disciples to watch for certain signs of his coming. And everywhere I looked, 
I see the signs. When will Christ come? It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only, said Jesus. We're not to speculate. We can only watch for signs, like you watch for the weather signs. How will Christ come? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven and with a shout and the voice of the archangel. In 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, I heard about a fishing vessel returning home after many days at sea. As they neared the shore, the sailors gazed toward the dock where a group of their loved ones had gathered. The skipper looked through his binoculars and identified some of them. He said, I see Bill's Mary, and there's Tom's Margaret, and there's David's Anne. One man became concerned because his wife was not there. Later, he left the boat with a heavy heart and hurried up the hill to the cottage, and he opened the door. She ran to meet him, saying, I've been waiting for you. He replied, yes, but the other men's wives were watching for them. We're told in Scripture that we're to watch as well as wait. And we're to be prepared, be ye ready, for in such an hour as ye know not, the Son of Man cometh. Do you think he's going to come tonight? Are you ready? You know, the Bible teaches it's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, there'll be the judgment. Dwight L. Moody, the great preacher in Chicago and the great evangelist was speaking to a crowd of men. He had about 10,000 men in front of him and he preached on how important it was to make a commitment to Christ now while you have time. And he gave the invitation this way. He said, all of you that will say to Christ, I will receive you, I will follow you, stand up and say, I will. If you're going to make a decision that you're not going to make that, do that, I want you to stand up and say, I won't. And so all over the audience, people said, I will, I won't. I will, I won't, I will, I won't. Which will it be for you?